FBI trail. Hey friends, welcome to the Bill Bunkley Show. My name is Carmen LaBerge. I have the privilege of being here with you today in Bill's stead. We do want to lift up uh, prayers of praise and gratitude to God for Bill's good report yesterday. For those who are of you who are following this on Facebook, and if you're not, that's where I would encourage you to uh, to go to get regular, timely, accurate updates about Bill's progress. So you can go to Facebook and look for Bill Bunkley uh, and send him a friend request or just, you know, you can kind of eavesdrop or stalk him there as well. All right, so you go there and uh, you'll see that yesterday morning, he posted a uh, really, you know, wonderful answer to prayer, gave us a medical update saying, very good news this morning, my leukemia is in remission. And then last evening, posted some clarification related to that because I think that not everybody quite understands what that word means. And so, you know, people were hopeful that maybe, well, gee, Bill will be back in the chair today. All right, friends, we need to be continuing in our prayers for Bill. Um, leukemia isn't something that uh, short of the direct intervention of God wiping it out. Uh, it's not something that just goes away quite that quickly. And so we want to be praising God uh, for this, uh, for his leukemia being found in remission. But that really just means that now the the process begins of them actually restoring Bill's white blood cells, doing the things that need to now happen for his re- immune system to uh, not only recover, but then be able to ward uh, ward off future uh, attempts at uh at the leukemia to make a return. So there you go. So uh, he's not, uh, he is not quite fully out of the woods, but, um, but we want to praise God for this good report. want to also remind people that he is not in a position at this point to receive personal visits. And so if you want to give him some encouraging words, please do so on Facebook uh, at Bill Bunkley. All right, friends, uh, yesterday, really fun to be with many of you in downtown Tampa at the Tampa Bay National Day of Prayer brunch. Thank you to all of the people who helped make that day possible. Thank you to all of you who participated in person and those who prayed with us from various and sundry locations around the Bay Area and even across the country. 35,000 groups of people officially probably unofficially many more than that, participated in National Day of Prayer celebrations across the United States. One of those celebrations actually took place in the Rose Garden at the White House. Uh, President Donald Trump marked the National Day of Prayer by signing uh, into, um, you know, I guess into law is one, one way of saying it. He signed an executive order uh, supporting faith-based initiatives across the country and recommitting the federal government to an openness to working with and hearing from uh, faith-based groups and individuals about their concerns and and about their initiatives uh, at work across the country. So we want to we want to certainly celebrate that. We want to celebrate any time that folks in the federal government take note of the vital role of faith, and that's language drawn from the new White House Faith and Opportunity Initiative, uh, right from the language of that document, acknowledges the vital role of faith in families, communities, and in the nation. During the ceremony, uh, President Bush acknowledged the role that prayer plays. Uh, he, he acknowledged the, um, the role that faith-based organizations play in terms of alleviating poverty and 
uh, and addressing the issues that people face across our country. Uh, and so we certainly want to celebrate this. He um, uh, he was surrounded by uh, leaders of various and sundry faith communities across the country. Uh, and so I'm I'm interested in knowing, you know, sort of uh, how you how you're responding to what is happening uh, in the country. Are you feeling are you feeling better about things? Are you feeling good about things? Do you have a is there an is there a little bit of an upbeat spirit here uh, in the spring in terms of your sense of how things are going for people of faith across the country? Uh, I know we we tend to lift up the stories that sort of bear witness to the challenges that people of of faith are facing across the country. And I've, of course, got a lot of those headlines for you today. But I'm just wondering if just sort of on the personal soul level, uh, how are you feeling about things? Uh, And I certainly hope that you recognize that not only moment by moment, but into eternity, God is going to be faithful to himself. And so even though we raise concerns and we want to be addressing those concerns, we want to be taking them seriously, we need to be people who don't fret. Fretting is not faithful. And so let's not be people who fret. Let's be people who uh, recognize the protections of our first freedoms. Let's recognize the invitation and opportunity that we have in this great nation to participate not only in the conversations of the day, but in the electoral process. Like, right, if you don't like how things are going, then you need to be electing different people. And if you don't like the people who are running, then you need to run yourself. Like, that's pretty much how this works. And so hats off to all of you who are people of faith who have thrown your hat into the uh, into the ring and you're running for election right now. We want to certainly be lifting you up in prayer as you prepare to faithfully serve. We also want to continue to pray for those who are already in positions of leadership of all varieties in our country. Uh, as we continue to pray for those in authority over us, whether we agree with their with their politics or not. Right. We want them to be people who are actively seeking the Lord. Uh, okay, so one of the curiosities uh, in terms of headlines that that I read this morning is the reinstatement of the chaplain to the House of Representatives. All right. And you're saying, well, what do you mean? This? Well, actually, OK, so here's what happened. So the House of Representatives has a chaplain and the chaplain resigned. Now, it could be that the chaplain resigned under pressure to resign. That's pretty much what seems like happened. And then there was a, a pretty serious backlash among Roman Catholic Democrats that he needed to be reinstated. And so instead of like formally reinstating him, what happened was he actually just withdrew his resignation. And so uh, depending on which headlines you're reading related to this, you might read a headline something like this. House chaplain rescinds resignation after furor over his ouster. By Ryan. Now, if you resigned, were you really ousted? Like this is this is where the you know the language gets a little tricky here, and uh, and you can always read the different the different way different or news organizations report on something based on the headlines that they choose to attach to it. Here's another headline: In a reversal, Speaker Ryan says the House chaplain will remain in his post. Um, so here's basically what's going on: um, House Speaker Paul Ryan uh, has announced uh, that. The Reverend Patrick Conroy will remain as chaplain of the House uh, after what some are describing as an extraordinary showdown that included the priest alleging anti-Catholic bias by Ryan's chief of staff. So uh, let's just say that there's been a lot of conversation between uh, the religious and the political uh, in the House chaplaincy quarters 
uh, of the state capitol. And you say to yourself, I, I, I wasn't even really like aware that we had these like religious figures serving on Capitol Hill. Oh, yes, indeed. Actually, uh, this has been thought out over time. If you're wondering to yourself, hey, where are those uh, uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation people? Like, why aren't they stomping around all over this issue, you know, asking the question, you know, why are taxpayer dollars used, being used to pay for religious chaplains in the House and in the Senate? What's going on here? Well, they've already stomped around mad about this, and we've got rulings in, in the mid—actually, in the fairly early 1950s and then again affirmed in, in the mid-'80s related to this. And so you're probably not going to see uh, any sort of court case emerge out of this. Um, but you might see some stomping around uh, in the, you know, in the press about, you know, why do we have chaplains? Well, here's, the, here's why we have chaplains. The Supreme Court has actually come right out and said, look, our institutions take, take into account, uh, they, they take for granted, they presuppose, I'm pretty sure that D- Douglas's language in the Supreme Court ruling related to this in like 1952, I'm pretty sure that the language is actually presupposes. Our institutions presuppose a supreme being, which, which basically means you can't read the Declaration of Independence and you can't read the Constitution of the United States of America unless you have an understanding that there, there is a supreme being, that there is a God. Our institutions, the American institutions, actually presuppose the reality of a supreme being. And so when you, when you say that out loud, then you have to be able to then also say it's okay for people of a religious mindset to hold public office. It's okay for people of a religious mindset to govern, and we should support them uh, in their faith while they are serving the people. You have to remember that members of Congress uh, come from all over the country, and they're serving us in Washington, D.C., and so they're not, you know, they're not there in their worshiping community. And so the idea here is we're going to supply them with a chaplain. Uh, and so we need to be, I would say, ardently praying for those who are serving in these particular capacities. Here's my, my personal curiosity in this story. You know there's a pretty good God gap when it comes to the Democrats. And so it's so curious to me that it's the Democrats that literally went to the mat for uh, for the reinstatement of a Roman Catholic chaplain. I mean, these are people who do not agree with the Roman Catholic Church uh, on abortion. They do not agree with the Roman Catholic Church on the definition of marriage. And yet, man, they're going to the mat for this Roman Catholic chaplain. Why? Well, because apparently they think the evangelicals or the or the mainline Christians don't want a Roman Catholic chaplain. And so, man, they're going to argue for a Roman Catholic chaplain, even if they disagree with the positions of the Roman Catholic Church on all of these points. So there you go. It's a very curious uh, situation. I imagine it's not done yet. I also imagine that it's more about partisan politics than it is uh, about about God and uh, and the things of God and following his particular, uh, often peculiar, will. All right, friends, so there you go. Uh, following the conversation in Washington about the House chaplain and his reinstatement. Also following the story in relationship to uh, the, the president's announcement uh, of policies 
uh, reinforcing policies actually put in place by President Bush um, and articulating them again in terms of the support of faith-based initiatives across the country. The president actually wants to wants to hear from us on matters of concern to people of faith. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, and so one of the things that has happened in this executive order is he's just he's putting all of the agencies of the federal government on notice, basically saying, I want you to have liaisons uh, to faith communities. And then I want to hear from those faith communities what their concerns are across the country. And so that's a that's a pretty wide open invitation for people of faith to be communicating their concerns, both positive and negative, be communicating their concerns to every agency of the federal government. Um all the way up to the uh, Office of Faith-Based Initiatives there in the White House, which, um, by the way, continues to go unstaffed. So that is a bit of a concern to me. If you're looking for something that uh, uh, a federal position that I think needs to be filled, that would be one uh, right down the hall from the president that I would say uh, we we probably ought to seek to have filled sooner rather than later. Okay, friends, uh, when I come back from the break, I'm going to be talking with Amber Johansson, She's with First Priority Tampa, and we're going to learn more about First Priority. We're going to get an update about what they're doing in terms of engaging students and educators right here in the Tampa Bay area, uh, equipping them to stand up for their faith and and work together to uh, advance positive causes throughout the educational system. Again, friends, this is the Bill Bunkley Show. I'm sitting in for Bill. My name is Carmen LeBurge. You can check it all out at letstalkfaith.com. That's letstalkfaith.com. There's a ton of stuff posted there in terms of trips that are available for you to take and books that you can sign up to win. Um, And again, if you want to check in on Bill, you can do that on Facebook. He's Bill Bunkley. My name's Carmen LaBurge, and we'll be right back. This is Michael Medved for townhall.com. Recent polls suggest 70% of Democrats support impeachment of President Trump, a preference ignoring obvious lessons from the recent past. Andrew Johnson was impeached in 1868 during his last months in office, and he wasn't running for re-election. Then with Richard Nixon a century later, momentum against him proved so powerful that he resigned before voters went to the polls for midterms. Only Bill Clinton faced congressional elections in the midst of an impeachment crisis, and he became the only president since the two-party system began began to gain congressional seats in the middle of his second term. Americans disliked Clinton's amorous adventures, but they hated the idea of impeachment and still do. If Democrats campaign for Congress promising turmoil, scandal-mongering, and gridlock, they will lose and deserve to lose. I'm Michael Medved. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Sunday mornings at 9, join Rabbi Stephen Weiler for Heart of Messiah. And that's Luke 21, 24. We go there that when Jerusalem is back in the hands of Jewish people, the blinders will start coming off. That's when the time of the Gentile is being fulfilled. Heart of Messiah, Sunday mornings at 9 on Faith Talk, AM 570, and online at letstalkfaith.com. 
Hey friends, welcome back to the Bill Bunkley Show. My name's Carmen LaBerge. I'm guest hosting for Bill today. Uh, and I'm welcoming to the show Amber Johansson. For a lot of you, she needs no introduction. You have heard her here before uh, talking with Bill about First Priority Tampa. You can check it out at firstpriorytampa.org. Amber, welcome to the Bill Bunkley Show. Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate you inviting me. All right, let's remind people, what is First Priority? What's the mission and how's it going? Uh, Our mission, First Priority has um, Christian student-led clubs on middle and high school campuses in um, Hillsborough, Pinellas, and Pasco counties. And our clubs meet weekly, and the, the purposes are for students to hear the gospel message and for them to get connected to a local church. All right. Now, immediately, you know, my little antennae go up and I hear you saying we got these Christian clubs meeting on these public school campuses. Remind me, Amber, why that's okay. (laughs) Well, it is our First Amendment, um, which I always love reminding people it's the very first one. And it is our right to gather and also um, so students have a right to gather on their school campuses and share their faith and talk about their faith. And what also backs them up is the Equal Access Act, which guarantees them the right to have clubs and equal access to schools and um, resources at the school. All right. And it's it's important to note that these are student these are students gathering together um, and they are and then the students are actually facilitating what's happening. Am I right? You are. They're completely student led meetings. Okay, and so really one of the things that First Priority is doing is you are equipping those students who are then in turn um, leading these uh, leading these gatherings. Correct. So we, we provide resources and training and ongoing support so that they have healthy and sustainable clubs and also so that they have accountability and um, the ability to maintain a group throughout the school year and to continue on each school year. So I'm curious, you know, when when a student um, finds out, you know, about you guys and they're like, wow, that's really something that I, you know, I feel led to. Um, I'm excited about this possibility. Um, tell us what what kinds of things they need equipping in. I, I imagine that some of them need some basic equipping in the in the do's and don'ts of what you can and cannot do. Um, and I imagine others of them, you know, need need equipping that goes that goes beyond that in terms of how to sort of answer hostile actors. So can you kind of fill us in on what some of experiences you've had in terms of dealing with students and their challenges in leading first priority groups? Absolutely. So I've been involved with with First Party um, for almost nine years now, and I've seen just a radical shift in the way that our students are being treated on school campuses. Um, When I first got involved, the schools were open and students were encouraged to gather and talk about their faith and and adult volunteers from the outside were allowed in. And that is it's been dramatically changed and they are really operating in a hostile environment. And what I also noticed, I have three kids in public schools, is is I'm understanding this what we've become our schools, and I know this is not just public, it's also private, really they're there to just learn, which I think is important and necessary, but they're not getting any additional skill sets on how to lead or how to navigate um, 
difficult situations. And so that's where we really step in because we find nine out of 10 times these students who want to have a group on campus, they don't even know where to begin and they don't know how to navigate the, the school policies and they don't know, they don't have any public skills, public speaking skills. And so we are really there to support them in that. And we do that from the, the church site. So we do it through the youth groups. That's where we're able to access the students and train the students is off school campus and at the, the church site. So we partner with the churches and the, and the youth pastors. The youth pastors are already discipling the students and preparing them to be missionaries. We're just giving them the space and the opportunity and the ongoing resources for them to be successful. All right. So I love that this is a really collaborative effort between first priority um, students who are already out there in every kind of environment that you and I could imagine. And then churches where these students are already being actively discipled. Um, And I I love that this is a collaborative partnership with the church. Tell us a little bit more or give us an example of how that works. Well, as you and I both know, this is the most unchurched generation. And um, as you begin to work with Generation Z, you know that they have no desire to be in church, no reason to be in church, and they have... There, there's no fellowshipping, no community going on, and so it's, I think it's really difficult for today's church to reach the youth. And as the school campus gets more and more difficult to be on as outside organizations, um, it's going to be harder for us to reach the students with the gospel. So it, it's, it's critical for the body of Christ to understand this. And for so many of our churches, they're operating from a model that's 30 years old. They're not understanding the hostile environment that, that we're operating under and how we're trying to reach these students with a message that, they, honestly, they don't even know that they need. So we're, part of our job is to also help churches understand if you want to reach students, you're going to have to go where they're at. But more importantly, you're going to have to train your students to do this. They've got to be mission-minded, and you've got to support them in that mission um, if you really want to reach students with the gospel and build up our churches, because we can reach them all day with the gospel, but they've got to be discipled, and that piece must happen in a local church. We will never replace church. We shouldn't be replacing churches. And we know that our job is only to be a bridge, but ultimately the students need to be in a church, in a youth group, being discipled and poured into and raised up. All right. I love that. All right, friends, the website is firstpriorytampa.org, firstpriorytampa.org. And let me just reflect back, um, Amber, what I heard you say. Um, and, And so we can reinforce it. And also we can be sure that, you know, we sort of got it right. So, um, friends, if you are looking around and you're saying to yourself, wow, the next generation, the under 18 crowd is not, uh, you know, like I don't see them in every uh, in every row of, of the congregation that I'm in. I, I don't I don't really see those uh, those older high school students or even a lot of middle school students. Um, but but there are one or two. And what what one or two who are fully equipped can do is lead uh, an effort in their school to actually uh, have real conversations with their peers about things that genuinely matter. Uh, when we talk about Generation Z, we're talking about everybody that is 18 and under, everybody that's born since the year 2000, and we're going to have to go where they are. And so they are two places. They are at school, and they are on digital, you know, they're in the digital world. They're digital natives. And so there's all kinds of missionary efforts taking place sort of online in the digital environment. And these are then efforts by First Priority, and specifically firstpriorytampa.org, efforts to actually equip young people who are Christians, to lead other students 
into those conversations where they can be transformed by the gospel. And so that's really what we're after here. And Amber, we're going to continue our conversation after we got to take a quick break here. But when Amber and I come back, we're going to be talking about um, everything from school violence to the effects of pornography and the negative effects of the women's movement on Generation Z. So if you are interested in what's happening with young people and you are interested in how you as an adult Christian can participate in equipping them more effectively uh, to engage with their peers, First Priority Tampa is 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 a place where you can connect to help do that. And so we want you to check it out at firstpriorytampa.org. And Amber and I um, will continue our conversation about this after the break. Um, Friends, uh, as we go to the break, let me remind you to continue to be in prayer for our brother, Bill Bunkley. You can get updates about what's going on with him on Facebook at Bill Bunkley. Um, And also, let me um, let me remind you that there are all kinds of trips available for you to take uh, with friends of the Salem Radio Network. And you can log on to Let's Talk Faith dot com. You can find out about a Reformation tour and River Cruise with Alistair Begg. You can go to Israel with Tony and uh, and Lois Evans. You can go to Israel with Bill Bunkley. Man, the list is really long about all of the great options you have. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You are listening to The Bill Bunkley Show, and we'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. A federal agent who was shot in the face on duty in Chicago today remains in stable condition and is expected to make a full recovery. The ATF says they're offering a reward for information in the case as they continue the search for a suspect. The eruption that forced 1,500 people away from their homes on Hawaii's Big Island was bigger than many people have ever seen there, they say. Officials have set up shelters for those evacuees and their pets and the Governor has deployed the National Guard to help protect all the structures that have been evacuated. One of the most serious opioid problems right now is a drug that's not an opioid. Gabitin is a 25-year-old generic pill long seen now as a low-risk way to treat seizures, nerve pain, and other ailments. Officials say more and more it's being used to accelerate the impact of other opioids and is more easy to get with a prescription. At the close on Wall Street, the Dow is up 332 points. This is SRN News. Okay, so the big question for any decision you're going to make, is this actually going to work? Well, if you've heard about MediShare, which is a brilliant way of sharing health care costs, you may have wondered that. Does it work? Well, so did Dr. Stuart Hoover, who initially joined to save a lot of money. The typical family saves about $500 a month. Stuart saved even more. When we first joined uh, MediShare, we were immediately going from a little over $1,600 a month down to uh, $460 basically a month. So that's wonderful, but then his wife needed emergency surgery and the bills added up to $160,000. So we were seeing the bills coming in and then the bills were being paid. Portions were being shared and the end result of this is this bill was taken care of. Yes, MediShare works and it's so easy to get your questions answered too so why not you can call right now 844-41-BIBLE that's 844-41-BIBLE 844-41-BIBLE Bill Bunkley inviting you to join me and my family on an inspirational pilgrimage this November to Israel and Jordan I've crafted with EDI Travel's renowned historian Boaz Shalgi an incredible itinerary 
You'll visit Petra in Jordan, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Nazareth, Jericho, the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, Masada, the northern Golan Heights, the Lebanese border, Ascalon, plus Jerusalem's new U.S. Embassy. We'll share an Israeli dinner at Boaz's home. See this and much more for the all-inclusive credible price of $3,965. Join me, Tony, and Zach on this 10-day all-inclusive pilgrimage November 10th through 19th. As a faithful listener, you've likely heard of my current health challenges. I've been advised by my medical team to plan on leading this spectacular pilgrimage. So come join us. Call 813-515-1510 or check out our complete itinerary online at letstalkfaith.com. Balance of Nature's Fruits and Veggies. I'm Mark Gastineau. I played in the NFL for 10 years. I was diagnosed with BTE, with dementia, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's. The fruits and vegetables that we take from Balance of Nature is the best thing that we could ever do. And I'm calling in now to order extra because of my wife has been taking mine because she sees a difference in me. It is a wonderful thing that Balance of Nature is doing. I hear the testimonies on the radio, but I'm a testimony for myself. And the fruits and vegetables, if I don't take them every single day, my day is not going to go the same. So God bless you, and thank you for what you've done for my wife and I. When you call, use discount code NOW, and we'll take 35% off your first month's order and ship it to you free. Call 800-246-8751 or go online to balanceofnature.com and use discount code NOW. Weekdays at 1 p.m. Don't miss Fresh Wind Radio with Dr. Jomo Cousins. Catalog Joy! When you follow the various trials and tested for the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work that you might be complete and perfect and lacking nothing. Fresh Wind Radio with Dr. Jomo Cousins. Weekdays at 1 on Faith Talk 570 and online at letstalkfaith.com. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Bill Bunkley Show. My name is Carmen LaBerge. I'm sitting in for Bill today, and joining me is Amber Johansson of First Priority Tampa. You can check it out at firstpriorytampa.org. Amber, again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Carmen. Let's um, let's go through some issues that high school students, uh, junior high and high school students, are, are certainly facing. We hear a lot about it. I'm just going to lift up the issue, and I'm just going to let you speak to it. Um, So we hear a lot about school violence, uh, and we certainly know there are lots of of, there's lots of attention being paid to what I would what I would call anti-bullying efforts and campaigns, gun violence um, uh, campaigns. Talk with us about that in terms of the conversations that teenagers are having and what you're seeing. Well, I think that this is coming out of this. Um, this push for secularization and the damaging effect it's having on our culture. And as Christians, we know what the sin of separation causes. Um, And so we're really, I say this a lot, we are, um, we are now we're seeing the the, the fruit of our labor. We have told these children that they need to be and whoever they want to be and they can do whatever they want to do. And so what, what we're seeing over and over again, and I, I see it daily in these groups, um, is if your identity is not rooted in the truth of Jesus, then this is what we're going to see. We're going to see violence because students are more disconnected 
than ever before because of technology and um, just so many of the different factors that are going on in their lives, divorce, single families, both parents working, so they're disconnected, so many of them are entitled, and so what we get out of that is this sadness, this anger, this loneliness, and, and it's driving so much of this violence, and so what we're trying to do is, is deal with the symptoms and not really look at what's at the core of it. And certainly secularization is never going to fix a problem that is rooted in us being separated from God. So as we pull God farther and farther away from the schools and from our families, we're going to see an increase in violence. And students know there's something wrong, but they don't know what it is. And of this generation, what I know more than anything is they are they will stand up and fight for an issue. If you want to talk about hunger or you want to talk about violence, they will stand up and fight against it. Um, but when you say to them, talk about your faith or we need you to um, share Jesus, they, they shrink away from that. So we are really looking at an, um, a generation that has been um, raised up in the social justice world and the politics of, of um, personality and the politics of personal um, need. And so we've got to get back to the basics, and that's teaching Jesus. And until we get back to that, particularly as the church, we are never going to deal with the symptom. And more gun laws and more bullying programs we're not going to deal with it till we go back to the gospel. And it's a basic message, and we need to get students back to that message and for them to understand that God has created them, he loves them, and he wants to be in a relationship with them. That is the answer to the violence we're dealing with, and the church should be on the front, forefront of that message. Well, yeah, and certainly, you know, the the church understands the identity conversation. Um, we actually have the the answer to the who who am I question um, and the world is never going to come up with a satisfactory answer. Uh, and so kids who have been told they, you know, they can explore and be whoever they want to be uh, and, and whatever they might imagine, uh, they're trying to have that conversation outside of the truth or beyond the truth of you are created on purpose and for a purpose by a personal loving creator uh, it, who has invested in you his very image um, who delights in you and wants to be in a relationship with you. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. And so uh, what I see you all doing uh, through First Priority is equipping young Christians to then turn to their peers and say, you know, you're more than the accident of chemistry and matter and time. Like you're, you know, you may not uh, have a family system that's working at home, but there's actually a family that you can be a part of. You, Your dad might not be around, but you've got a father in heaven. And you and I, Amber, we're not very likely going to have a lot of opportunities uh, to engage uh, in, you know, in the most vulnerable moments with teenagers. But other teenagers constantly have those opportunities, both in person and on social media. So I like the way First Priority has positioned itself to equip the young people who are already uh, in those environments and in those cultural realities with their peers. Absolutely, and, and we, we acknowledge that as horizontal influence, and the idea is, and, 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 and the research will back me up on this, students are more influenced by their friends than they are by anyone else, more than parents, more than youth pastors, more than any adult. And, and again, I think we are still in our churches, we are using a 30-year-old model. We think we need to have a youth pastor to acknowledge all of these and fix it. While there is a place for the youth pastor, we've got to understand it is that peer-to-peer influence that is so critical. And we 
we don't do God any favors when we get in the, in the way of that, and we discount what he can do through another teenager. I mean, this is the smartest generation we've ever seen. These kids are more than capable. These Christian kids are more than capable of sharing the gospel and, and, again, helping other students who are lost and hurting to understand exactly that you said so well, that they do have a pur- that God does have a purpose and a plan. And so they can do it so much better than any, any adult could do it. So there's probably a lot of people listening who, you know, are aware of the very, very negative impacts uh, of pornography. Um, I I tend to call it the pornification of the culture. Like everything Mm -hmm. seems to be pornographied. I don't actually know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it. Um, (laughs) And it's got devastating effects on our kids. And part of the challenge is that uh, in the Christian community, in, in our homes and in our churches, we've spent so much time and effort trying to protect our kids that we've done uh, an insufficient or ineffective job in preparing them. So can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of the effect of pornography um, on young people and then maybe encourage um, uh, those in Christian leadership and who have the, the opportunity to do so to actually do some positive education and preparation in both the home and the church in relationship to sexuality? Well, I, I, this is probably the, the most important issue to me because I think in, in the research that we're seeing, and, and you can, there's a site called um, fightthenewdrug.org, and it's, it's um, the fight against pornography, and research is telling us so much um, that it's student, children who are being exposed to pornography, it's getting younger and younger and younger. And what I know more than anything is the church is at basically has put their head in the sand. Um, and we as believers think, well, if we, we're taking care of our kids at home and we've, we're taking them to church, and then it'll never be my kid. And that is the absolute wrong way to look at this. Um, and so, and I do hear it quite often in our groups. I, I was in a group and a girl talked about her, por- I've actually I've seen this twice, a girl talked about her addiction to pornography. And she was in a group of about 30 kids, other students. And some of the students started saying back to her, there's no such thing as an addiction to pornography, that pornography is healthy helpful and good because that's how you learn about sex. And I realize we have a problem and, and the problem is we're not teaching sex education. So what's happening is kids are going to pornography to learn and, and I think this is another great opportunity for the church to step in and to begin to offer these sex education classes to um, families, to parents, to teach parents how to talk to their kids and then also directly with, with the students so that they understand what God's plan is for our sexuality. But it's a piece that we are really missing and um, is so critical. So pornography has stepped in and I, and I want to give you I want to give you two statistics. It is that 18% of boys and 10% of girls have seen rape or sexual violence online. 32% of boys and 18% of girls have viewed bestiality. And was the last one. 39% of boys and 23% of girls have seen online sex acts involving bondage. This comes from CovetedEyes.com, and this was a study from 2008. So we know that those numbers have gone up. And these are students under the age of 18, and they're saying now that the number of uh, the age that students are being exposed to pornography is anywhere from six to seven years old. And the average age of that when a parent talks to a student about sexuality is usually in the seventh grade. So you can see where the breakdown is there. If the child is seeing porn at seven and the parent isn't actually talking to them until seventh grade, imagine what is what is happening between those years. Well, we know what's happening. They're getting these mental hooks that are set in their minds. Yes. And those mental hooks, you know, can't be unset. Like once it's in there, it's in there. And it's almost, it's virtually impossible to root it out. Um, I know that uh, 
uh, we've got friends at at a website called One Click Away, uh, and that would be a third site that we could send, uh, you know, we could send parents and, and listeners to. So, friends, we've talked about fightthenewdrug.org. We've talked about covenanteyes.com. And we've talked about uh, one click away. And if you um, if you are not informed on the subject of pornography and the effect that porn is having mm-hmm. on our young people, um, if you are a person in ministry and if you are a a parent or a grandparent, this is actually information that you need to become informed about and equipped equipped about um those those statistics that you that you shared with us amber as troubling as they are um i would concur with you that i think there's no question that those numbers have gotten worse maybe not younger but the but the numbers in terms of the um of the percentage uh of kids who have seen the kinds of things that you're talking about uh netflix this netflix series that's now in its second season um, uh, 13 Reasons Why, yes. you know, every kid who watched that, they didn't yes. just see a suicide. Um, they saw the whole process that, you know, leads up to and including, you know, a young person bleeding themselves out. And it's yes. it's so it was incredibly graphic. Um, and and parents who are saying to themselves, well, we don't have Netflix. So my kid hasn't seen that. If right. your kid has a friend who has an enabled device, your kid has seen it. I promise you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that these are conversations that, you know, again, kids are are with kids. And so right. uh, and they are tech savvy and they are, you know, of this digital generation. Um, and so we have to be equipping our Christian young people to actually be the missionaries into this culture because yeah. you and I, Amber, we're just not a, really a part of it anymore. It's, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's grown beyond us. Right. And can I just say one thing about that, Carmen, because I think that what, sure. what the Christian, what many Christians tend to respond to with this is that's why I'm going to homeschool my children. Mm. And I really want to push against that idea um, because I have several friends, they, they homeschool their children and they are now, there are two people I have in mind that they have addiction to pornography. The idea that you're going to keep your kid in your home and protect them from all evil is A, not our job. Let's start there. And B, it's not biblical. God is the protector, and God has called us to be the salt and light, and you cannot do that in your home and never leaving your home. So we as parents have got to be, we've got to be, we've got to stop being so afraid of the culture that we don't, we don't pursue others because of it. We have to understand that God is with us and for us. And so we've got to we've got to equip our students and our children to be prepared for the evils of this world. It, we cannot shield them from that from it. And and so I, I do want to just take away from that that the idea that the, all these things are only happening in public schools because that's not true. No, that's, that's right. True. That's right. It's ha- it's literally it's ubiquitous. It's happening everywhere. Friends, we want you to protect your kids as best you can, relying on God to be their ultimate protector. We want you to prepare them actively in order that uh, they as ambassadors of Jesus Christ might pursue those in their generation uh, on behalf of him. Hey, my conversation partner has been Amber Johansson. You can check it all out at firstpriorityTampa.org. Amber, thank you for joining me today on the Bill Bunkley Show. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Carmen. God bless you. Thank you, dear. Hey, friends, I got to take a quick break, but I will be back in just a minute. Again, this is Carmen LaBerge sitting in for Bill Bunkley.
So, how are you enjoying this latest stock market roller coaster ride? You've worked too long and too hard to let market volatility and a tired old spend down strategy rob you of your retirement savings. David J. Scranton, founder of Sound Income Strategies, has dedicated his entire career to educating baby boomers how to avoid becoming prey to market volatility and the retirement spend down trap. To teach you how to get off the roller coaster and transform a potential retirement spend down into retirement income, David's now offering free copies of his latest book, Return on Principle, Seven Core Values to Help Protect Your Money in Good Times and Bad to the First 1,000 Boomers to Respond to This Message by Calling 866-913-1234, 866-913-1234. Don't let market volatility ruin your retirement, 866-913-1234, 866-913-1234. Call now for your free book. I'm Bill Carl, and you know for years we've been helping families just like yours with half-price tuition to great Christian schools at ChristianTuitions.com. And for years, parents have asked, is this for real? It absolutely is. Here's a recent conversation with Natasha Sherwood, headmaster at Tampa Bay Christian Academy. I literally can remember the first kid who five years ago took up the half-price tuition mm-hmm. discount from you all. The look on that mom's face, she's like, I don't know if I bought into a scam or not. I, this is, you know, and she sat in our office just crying that it wasn't and that yeah. she wasn't able to bring her kid. And you all have helped shape our goals. I mean, when I saw that face, I was like, there are people out there who don't know they can afford it. And we have aggressively tried to meet that need. So thank you, because you've helped shape who we try to be. For years, we've made it our goal to help families afford a private Christian school education through ChristianTuitions.com. Great Christian schools are already enrolling for next year. So hurry today to ChristianTuitions.com for half off your first year's tuition at a private Christian school. Choose your child's school today at ChristianTuitions.com. If you have a damaged windshield, keep your family safe with a premium quality replacement and a lifetime warranty from Autoglass America. If you have comprehensive insurance, we'll buy back your old windshield for up to $100 cash on the spot, come to you with free mobile service, and install a new premium quality windshield all at no cost to you. Be safe. Call today for fast claims processing. Remember, we turn your broken glass into cold, hard cash. 813-96-GLASS. That's 813-96-GLASS. Autoglass America. So I was at that new boutique, the one where the video store used to be. Next to the dry cleaners. That was so 2004. Now I download videos at home and the dry cleaner comes to me. The dry cleaner comes to you? Twice a week. Tyler from Sun Country Cleaners, who, by the way, is as clean cut and professional as they come, picks up all the family laundry, not just our work clothes and... (gasps) No more sorting socks. No more sorting socks. Sun Country Cleaners, you do life, we'll do the laundry. SunCountryCleaners.com. Hello, I'm Jeff Day, president of Argus University's Tampa and Sarasota campuses, reminding you that there's still time to enroll for our summer classes starting on May 10th, 2018. Argus University offers undergraduate degree programs in psychology, business, and criminal justice, and graduate degree programs in business, education, counseling, and psychology. At Argus University, you'll benefit from our experienced faculty, small class sizes, and supportive learning environments. To learn more, go to argosy.edu slash Tampa. Weekday afternoons at 3, I Work For Him with Jim Brangenberg. I'm Jim Brangenberg, the host of I Work For Him. Who do you work for, really? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, your car payment, yourself, or your Lord? Your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. I Work For Him with Jim Brangenberg. Weekday afternoons at 3 on Faith Talk 570 WTBN. Online at letstalkfaith.com. 
Friends. I'm Carmen LaVerge. This is the Bill Bunkley Show. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's talk about this news out of Illinois. Um, since we're on the education subject and we're on the subject of what's going on in our schools, the Illinois Senate has approved a bill mandating schools teach positive gay history. Uh, from the story, this particular version of it posted at The Hill, uh, this uh, this Senate-approved measure mandates elementary and high schools teach a unit studying, quote, the role and contributions of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people in the history of the country and the state. So the measure passed on Wednesday in a vote of 34 to 18 in the Illinois Senate. Uh, it will go on to uh, the House if the legislation passes the House and is signed into law by Illinois' governor, all of which, by the way, are dominated by people who um, are likely to vote to do this. Uh, Illinois would become the second state to require what is understood as an inclusive LGBT curriculum. Uh, not surprisingly, California became the first state to use what is understood to be an LGBT inclusive uh history textbook specifically but not to be um not to be uh, outdone in efforts to totally normalize uh i mean i think that's the the that's actually the language that advocates of this use i mean a- efforts to normalize lgbtq um behaviors and lifestyles uh massachusetts uh has Taken upon itself, I was going to grab a date off of this because uh, I think this happened, yes, at the end of April. So April 23rd, Monday, April 23rd, the state of Massachusetts um, uh, made it possible for their schools to use w- a new curriculum. Uh, it's a new curriculum with LGBTQ-themed history, English, and health. So starting this fall, uh, classroom teachers who opt to use this new Massachusetts Safe Schools program for LGBTQ students uh, and the Massachusetts Commission on LGBTQ Youth. Uh, They will be able to feature lessons uh, on on all kinds of things uh, related to uh, how to understand history, English, and health from pro-LGBTQ narratives. And so I think that that's, uh, that's... Here's what you need to understand. I mean, this is the way I would put this. You are ultimately the curriculum in a classroom. So, I mean, that's why when we think about who do we want teaching our kids in church, like, right, you actually want mature disciples teaching kids uh, in Sunday school because ultimately it doesn't matter what physical curriculum you put in the hands of the teacher. Ultimately, what the kids are learning is the pattern of the person. And so when we talk about what are our kids learning in school, what we're actually talking about are educators and teachers. And so um, if, you, if you really want to think about who's on the forefront of molding the next generation, it is uh, the educators and the teachers uh, in, in every kind of school. And so um, when we talk about there being these efforts among educators to move in this direction, you have to understand that regardless of whether or not a state mandates its use, if they say you can do it, educators who want to see these behaviors normalized are going to do it. 
These are things that teachers are going to teach because these are the things that the teachers want to teach because this is the future they want to create. This is the the pattern that they want to have students follow. And so when we think about Christian uh, Christians who are out there in our school systems, man, we need to be ardently praying for them. Uh, but we also need to be people who are actively engaged in reading the curriculum that's being used in our local school systems. We need to be actively engaged with our school board. We need to know what's going on. Um, a- an effort to to change the sex education curriculum in Fremont, California. Let me tell you, if you if you want something to Google that feels like good news, Google the Fremont, California situation where parents and let me the pictures of these parents. By the way, there's not a you know there's not a Caucasian person in the picture. And so when we talk about um, the demographic shift that's happening in America, when we talk about uh, there you know this rising tide of Latinos, when we talk about the a rising tide of African Americans, when we talk about a rising tide of immigrants, we're also talking about a rising tide of conservatism. So you need to understand that. You need to understand that we talk about family values, we talk about Christian values. Um, we are we are talking uh, oftentimes about our Hispanic and African American uh, and global Christian uh, friends, and so in Fremont, California, that's who showed up. That's who showed up to say this sex education curriculum is too much, too early, and we do not want it taught to our children. And they prevailed. They prevailed in California. Uh, at the level of the local school district. So that's going to be my encouragement to you. Like if you want to see these trends changed and stopped, if you would like to see a different kind of harvest taking place in our culture, then you've got to be sowing the seeds uh, that you want sown in order that the fruit that's produced could be a harvest of righteousness instead of uh, the kinds of fruits that that you might be seeing now that um, <clears throat> that you know do not glorify God nor edify his people. All right, friends, um, I got to take a break. Uh, at the top of the hour, we will pick up with the headline news of the day related to the Episcopal Church taking the words husband and wife out of the marriage liturgy. Uh, I am Carmen LaBerge. I am sitting in for Bill Bunkley on The Bill Bunkley Show, and we'll be right back. That's heavy on my mind. Then I look at you, and the world's all right with me. Just one look at you, and I know it's gonna be. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Christian Faith Publishing helps thousands of authors publish their books with a company dedicated to strong Christian values. The most important qualities that I was looking for was a publisher who was honest and upfront, no hidden costs or fees, and owning the rights to my own work. It all starts with our free author submission kit. Call 800-566-1012. We'll edit, design, copyright protect, print, and distribute books online and in bookstores everywhere. You'll see your books in Christian bookstores Amazon, iTunes, Barnes & Noble, and many others. If you have a biography, novel, devotional, self-help, or other inspirational work, we get it published. We provide professional book editing, award-winning design, with the highest royalty structure in the industry. Plus, you retain 100% rights to your work. Get your book published today. Call for your free author submission kit at 800-566-1012. That's 800-566-1012. 800-566-1012. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. 
Online at letstalkfaith.com, a service of the Salem Media Group. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. President Trump appeared at the annual National Rifle Association's convention in Dallas, Texas today, and he said he will protect an American's right to own firearms. Your Second Amendment rights are under siege, but they will never, ever be under siege as long as I'm your president. He reiterated his support for allowing well-trained teachers to carry concealed weapons and having highly trained security guards in schools. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed a six-week abortion ban into law on Friday, marking the strictest abortion regulation in the nation, but setting the state up for a lengthy court fight. The Republican governor signed the bill in her formal office at the state capitol. She acknowledged the new law would likely be challenged in court, but she said this is bigger than just a law. The ACLU and Planned Parenthood vowed to sue the governor to stop the law. The Labor Department says employers added a modest 164,000 jobs last month. I think on balance this is a disappointing jobs report. Mark Hamrick, senior economic analyst with Bankrate.com. Probably the most important thing about this report is that wage growth was truly lackluster, less than stellar, having basically been promised that we'd be seeing a more substantial and sustained pickup in pay because of the tax cuts. An encouraging sign for the economy? The pace of hiring has yet to be disrupted by dramatic global markets market swings, a recent pickup in inflation, or the risk that the tariffs being pushed by the Trump administration could provoke a trade war. Shelly Antler, Washington. The Kilauea volcano sent more lava into Hawaii communities Friday, a day after forcing more than 1,500 people to flee from their mountainside homes. And authorities detected high levels of sulfur gas that could threaten the elderly and people with breathing problems. A good day on Wall Street as the Dow was up by 332 points. The Nasdaq rose 121. The S&P advanced 34. More on these stories at townhall.com. Is it worth 20 bucks to get you out of pain? Hi, Mike Gallagher. Oh, yes. For over three years, I've been telling you about Relief Factor and how my lower back pain left me in trouble. My pain was making my life miserable. Then my buddy Hugh Hewitt asked me why I wasn't trying Relief Factor. It got him out of pain, and glory, it did the same for me. 1995 for a three-week quick start. ReliefFactor.com. What are you waiting for? ReliefFactor.com or call 800-500-8384. 800-500-8384. Are you a responsible person who finds yourself growing deeper in credit card debt? Then get ready for a toll-free number that will put you on a path to financial recovery. Trinity Debt Management will consolidate your accounts and work with your creditors. You'll save thousands and become debt-free for keeps. If your debt has you down, we should talk. Call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. 1-800-990-6976. 1-800-990-6976. Better put down that donut. New fat-fighting guidelines are coming out. Want to keep from piling on the pounds? The World Health Organization wants to help. It's drawing up its first guidelines on how much fat you shouldn't eat. And yes, chocolate is on the watch-it list, as are butter, milk, meat, and eggs. The WHO says saturated fats found in those foods shouldn't make up more than 10% of your diet. And it says only 1% or less of your calories should be from trans fats. They're found in baked and fried foods, processed foods, and cooking oils. The WHO says it'll issue its final recommendations after hearing further comment. I'm Rita Foley. Many hotels are now offering short-term rooms. Through an app called Recharge, some 50 hotels in San Francisco and New York offer rooms by the minute. An hour can cost $120 for that little nap. 
News and analysis at townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. Royal officials say Meghan Markle's divorced parents will come to London before her May 19th wedding to Prince Harry and will meet with Queen Elizabeth II and other royals. Harry's press secretary, Jason Knauf, says that Thomas Markle and Doria Ragland will arrive during the week before the wedding. This will give them time to meet Harry's family. Markle's parents will visit the Queen and her husband, Prince Philip, with Harry's dad, Prince Charles, and his wife, Camilla, and with his brother, Prince William, and his sister-in-law, Kate. Raglan will travel with her daughter by car to Windsor Castle on the 19th of May and Thomas Markle will walk his daughter down the Isle of St. George Chapel for the ceremony. Knauf says Markle is delighted her parents will be by her side. Sarah Shackley, London. North Korea readjusted its time zone to match South Korea's on Saturday and described the change as an early step toward making the longtime rivals become one following a landmark summit. More on these stories at townhall.com. This hour is sponsored by EDI Travel. Christ demands first place. There's no room on the throne of your heart for two gods. This is the Bill Bunkley Show on Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN. Our rights come from nature and God and not from government. History will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Phone lines are open in Hillsboro, 813-287-5700 or toll-free 1-877-943-9673. As for me and my house, we've already made a decision. We are going to serve the Lord. And that's a decision that every single person here tonight has to make. You either have to decide that you're going to serve the gods of materialism all around or the true and the living God. And now, the president of the Florida Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission. Here's Bill Bunkley. Hello, friends. I am neither Bill Bunkley nor the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of Florida. However, I love them both. Um, all right. My name is Carmen LaBerge, and I'm sitting in today for Bill. And indeed, the phone lines are open at least for this segment of the show, 813-287-5700 or toll-free at 877-943-9673. Miracle Mike will be the guy that answers the phone, and you can uh, you can tell him what you want to talk to me about, and we'll talk about it. How's that sound? All right, I'm going to lead off with um, a bad news story and a good news story. There you go. And, and, and I, you don't really have the choice because I can't really take like an instant poll. Do you want the bad news or the good news first? So I'll give you the bad news. Get it out of the way. Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge surprise to anybody that the United States version of the Episcopal Church, so it's actually the Episcopal Church, TEC, uh, is changing the language of its marriage liturgy, deleting the words husband and wife. Now, if you've been paying attention to uh, the, shall we say, uh, devolution of the Episcopal Church in the United States uh, over time, this is not going to surprise you, right? They've taken out all references to procreation from the marriage liturgy because obviously if you have people of the same gender marrying each other, procreation cannot be why you're doing, uh, why you're getting married because um, that's not possible. And so uh, scrubbing the language of husband and wife, I don't think comes, as, it should not come as any particular shocking surprise to anybody. However, 
it's troubling and it's problematic and it's contrary to what Scripture says about marriage. And so I do think that it's worthy of noting. However, if you are a a person who is a, a member of the Episcopal Church in the U.S., and all of a sudden you're stunned to find out that you're a part of a denomination that affirms uh, marriage of same-gendered people, then, you know, I I guess this is your wake-up call, but you haven't been paying attention because this has actually been moving in this direction now for some period of time. We're at the point where really every mainline denomination now fully embraces and performs uh, same-sex marriage ceremonies. Now, some of them do it uh, they have the, the the freedom or the liberty to decide uh, on you know on a church by church or local congregational basis whether or not to do it. Others of them do not have that kind of choice. So in the Episcopal Church, uh, local congregations don't really at this point have a choice. If requested to do it, then they must. Um, and now they are planning a gender neutral wording in the Book of Common Prayer that will be adopted into. Uh, into the practice of the Episcopal Church nationwide. The new service, according to the article, removes the phrase the union of husband and wife and replaces it with the union of two people. Um, It also replaces the section which talks about uh, part of God's intention for marriage being the procreation of children with the phrase for the gift of children to make it more relevant for same-sex couples who may wish to create a family through adoption. Uh, all right, friends, all of this is only, in my view, uh, likely to further aggravate the conversation uh, globally among what's known as the Anglican Communion. And so the the news that we'll want to be keeping our eye out for is how the worldwide communion of Anglicans, because that's the world, that's the global body of which the Episcopal Church uh, is still a part. The Episcopal Church, the, the American expression of global uh well, one one American expression of global global Anglicanism at this point um, is under, uh, you know, like sanctions by the global body. And my guess is this is only going to further aggravate uh, that relationship. And so it will be interesting to see if the global Anglicans actually decide at some point to expel the Episcopal Church from the Anglican communion. Uh, if they if they were, you know, honest to their own. Uh, confessions, that's what they would do. Uh, And so we'll see if ultimately that happens. All right. Now for the good news story. Uh, This out of Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, Prepare yourselves because this is actually, I think, really significant pro-life news. You've probably been noticing that across the country there has been a rising tide of uh, legislation at the state level related to the banning of abortion earlier and earlier and earlier. And so um, we've got some states that, you know, it's, it's certainly prior to 20 weeks. We've got some states that it's as, low, it's as low as 12 weeks. Let me just say that this Iowa legislation uh, would ban abortion once a baby's heartbeat is detected. We're talking here at seven to eight weeks. Uh, a baby's heart is fully formed by, by the seven or eight week point in a pregnancy. And so if indeed this uh, this legislation continues to make its way uh, through the process and if the governor signs it, it would be the strongest pro-life law in the United States of America. Uh, it's known as SF-359, and it passed the, uh, the Iowa House 51 to 46. It passed the Iowa Senate 29 to 17. Uh, And then there were amendments that were added, allowing exceptions for babies conceived 
uh, in the context of rape, babies conceived in the context of incest, uh, babies with fetal ab- abnormal excuse me abnormalities deemed incompatible with life, and it already included an exception for physical threats to the mother's life. So I know that there are some of you who are going to say those are way too many exemptions. Those are way too many exceptions. Let's let's remember what we're talking about and where we're at in our uh, in the rising tide of our culture, and let's celebrate the victories when they come, and let's then build upon them. And so uh, Iowa does have a Republican governor, Kim Reynolds. Uh, she has not said yet whether or not she will sign it, but a spokesperson for the governor uh, told CNN uh, that the governor is, uh, uh, you know, a hundred a hundred percent pro life. Uh, and uh, and would never stop fighting for the unborn. Um, and so I think that after, you know, after a review, maybe we could hold out hope that that might happen. Here is, um, here is the pushback you're going to hear. Uh, you're going to hear people say that's not, um, you know, th- that that's contrary to Roe v. Wade. Okay, here's where I think we need to pay close attention. In Roe v. Wade, what was established was the criteria of, of viability, now, in 1972, um, you know, a 12-week-old baby was not viable. A 20-week-old baby was not viable. Today, viability, the age of viability, because of medical technology, um, because of the, you know, nearly miraculous things we are now able to do outside the womb, the question of viability has now dropped, you know, it's, it, it, it's a younger and younger and younger baby, Okay. What this Iowa law does is says, you know what, we're not even going to mess around with the viability language anymore. We're going to start defining the beginning of life at the beating of the human heart. And so it really changes the conversation. And it gives us as Christians, I believe, an opportunity to have the very honest conversation about when life begins. Now, I'm a person who happens to be pro-life from conception to natural death. Now, that means that on the other end of life, uh, there are probably going to be some of you who would disagree with me in terms of uh, the kinds of interventions that I think are appropriate to keep people alive after the point when they would otherwise naturally die. So, uh, you know, I'd be interested to know if you're a pro-life person, how do you define that? Uh, and, And where do you define life as beginning? I define it, you know, I'm, I am pro-life from conception to natural death. You and I can have all kinds of interesting, intelligent conversations about whether or not those, um, those points should be at somewhere different along a spectrum. Uh, but, but each of us needs to know why we hold the position that we hold. And I'm, I'm going to articulate my pro-life position uh, based on Scripture, and, and I'm going to turn to uh, places where, you know, it's very clear to me that God is interested in uh, those who are living in the womb. And so I, I'm going to point to God's talking about Jeremiah. Uh, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, you know, we, we know this from the Psalms that God knits us together in our in our mother's wombs. Um, before I knew you or before, you know, before you were here, I knew you. God conceived of us before the foundations of the earth. These are pretty strong uh, evidences of uh, of life from the point of conception. I would also point to all of those uh, conversations that God has with women 
throughout the Bible who are otherwise barren, are unable to have babies, who then have babies because God uh, deigns that they should have babies. And so we're going to, we could easily talk here about Elizabeth and Mary. These are probably two uh, of the most well-known miraculous uh, baby stories. And so uh, when you talk about John being conceived in the womb of, um, of Elizabeth, who had been barren her entire life and was certainly past the age of childbearing. And then when you talk about Mary, who is a virgin and is, uh, is found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and then you look at the text where John, in the womb, leaps, leaps when Mary, in whose womb Jesus is newly conceived, walks into the room. So I got to tell you, for Elizabeth to proclaim uh, that, you know, who am I that the mother of my Lord should, you know, should should come in. She says the baby in my womb leaped within me. Well, that's because John recognizes Jesus. Dude, that is womb to womb. That is womb to womb recognition. That is pretty strong uh, evidence that there is something going on in terms of personality and recognition in the womb far before the baby is ever born. And so, um, you know, you might have a different understanding of, of your pro-life position. Um, if you're a Christian, you're pro-life. I mean, it's just that simple. And so even if you don't articulate it that way, um, it's, it's, it's like impossible to be a Christian and not at some level be pro-life because we actually are people who worship the living God and so, uh, you know, he's the God of all creation. He is the God of life. Uh, and we, you know, we live and move and find our being in him. And so, you know, you may not think of yourself as pro-life in terms of the politics of abortion in the United States. But if you're a Christian, you're pro-life. Like you're, you're pro the Lord who lives and you're pro the Lord who gives life. And you're pro the Lord who has, you know, certainly has the power to take life away and give new life, by the way. So, um so even if it's political language that you feel like has been co-opted in a particular conversation, um, you know, I, I, I would say, look, we follow a Lord. Uh, we are the disciples of, uh, of a guy named Jesus who is the way and the truth and the what? Yeah, the life. He's the way and the truth and the life. And so, you know, we're pro-life people. That's pretty much, you know, our gig as Christians. And so... Um, I wanted to celebrate with you this very positive pro-life story uh, out of Iowa. And certainly we want to continue to be following that story as uh, Governor Kim Reynolds decides whether or not to sign that particular legislation into law. Do I think that it will then immediately uh, find a challenge in the court? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, There are already those who uh, oppose it. There are even pro-life advocates, by the way, and activists who oppose heartbeat legislation on the premise that uh, Roe v. Wade should not be directly challenged because they don't actually want to see it go back to the Supreme Court until there's a clear pro-life majority on the court um, because they actually think that, you know, that might not go so well. I would say this, you know, that 
the movement in our culture, because of science, because of the development of technology, because people can actually see what's going on inside the womb, because uh, because people can actually, you know, see through the, you know, like 4D sonograms. You can actually see those babies and you can see their faces and it's really impossible to, to deny that that's a person. Um, and so there are lots of people who think, you know, now is the time to revisit Roe v. Wade, and that means that we need we need something to be tested all the way to the level of the Supreme Court in terms of the definition of when life begins. This is how that kind of conversation would start. One state passing heartbeat legislation versus viability legislation in terms of uh, the definition of when life begins. All right, friends, um, I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to The Bill Bunkley Show. Right after the break, I think, I'm going to be joined by... Mike is nodding to me through the window. Uh, I'm going to be joined by Joe Manson. Uh, Joe is a very young guy, hasn't graduated from college yet. But, man, he is using his faith in active ways to make this community better. He is the guy responsible for something called Clean Up Kennedy. And you can check it out at cleanupkennedy.org. We're going to get an update from Joe when we come back. Again, I'm Carmen LeBurge, and you are listening to The Bill Bunkley Show. at 6. Join Pastor Steve Kreloff for Verse by Verse. You cannot entertain any thoughts that it might be an option of whether I want to let these desires live and develop into sinful actions. There's no option. They have to die. Listen to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff weekday mornings at 6 on Faith Talk AM 910 and FM 102.1 online at letstalkfaith.com. Pastors and counselors, there are people in your pews and waiting rooms struggling with same-sex attraction. New Hearts Outreach invites you to their annual Pastors and Counselors Luncheon with two dates, Thursday, May 10th at South Tampa Fellowship and Friday, May 11th at Plant City's First Baptist Church. Join George Carneal, author of Queer to Christ, and his father as they share their story. Learn how to effectively care for those suffering same-sex attraction. The luncheon is free. Register at NHOTampa.com. This is Michael Medved for townhall.com. Recent polls suggest 70% of Democrats support impeachment of President Trump, a preference ignoring obvious lessons from the recent past. Andrew Johnson was impeached in 1868 during his last months in office, and he wasn't running for re-election. Then with Richard Nixon a century later, momentum against him proved so powerful that he resigned before voters went to the polls for midterms. Only Bill Clinton faced congressional elections in the midst of an impeachment crisis, and he became the only president since the two-party system began began to gain congressional seats in the middle of his second term. Americans disliked Clinton's amorous adventures, but they hated the idea of impeachment and still do. If Democrats campaign for Congress promising turmoil, scandal-mongering, and gridlock, they will lose and deserve to lose. I'm Michael Medved. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Hi, can I help you? Yes, I have a snoring problem. Uh, can you describe it for me, please? Well, it's about 5 foot 11 with curly hair and a moustache. Oh, I see. Introducing Mute, 
Sleep technology that opens the nose to increase airflow by an average of 38% so you and your partner can enjoy a good night's sleep. Mute, breathe more, snore less, sleep better. Available now at Walgreens, CVS and GNC. I'm Amy Errett, founder and CEO of Madison Reed, a company that's revolutionizing the way women color their hair, a company I named after my daughter. Madison Reed is the ultimate hair color hack. The quality of a salon, the convenience and affordability of at-home hair color, and an ammonia-free formula with ingredients you could feel good about. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first purchase. Use code Radiant Hair. If you have a damaged windshield, keep your family safe with a premium quality replacement and a lifetime warranty from Autoglass America. If you have comprehensive insurance, we'll buy back your old windshield for up to $100 cash on the spot. Come to you with free mobile service and install a new premium quality windshield all at no cost to you. Be safe. Call today for fast claims processing. Remember, we turn your broken glass into cold hard cash. 813-96-GLASS. That's 813-96-GLASS. Autoglass America. Saturday mornings at 1030, join us for The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward. And I think it's just a, a really helpful, positive development where we don't have to, you know, avoid important questions like this. We can embrace dialogue. The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward. Saturday mornings at 1030 on Faith Talk 570 WTBN. Online at letstalkfaith.com. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous. Hey, friends, do you embrace that calling? Do you embrace that you were made to be courageous? Do you embrace that uh, you are living in the in the generation in which you are living? to actually be a change agent of God, to bring uh, the realities of the kingdom of God to bear in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. Well, my next guest, his name is Joe Manson, and uh, Joe's a young guy who is courageous and is fully embracing the calling, uh, not just to see the world be different, but to actually make those changes uh, that bring the dignity to human life uh, and that actually make the world a better place. So, Joe, uh, welcome back to The Bill Bunkley Show. Well, thank you for having me on, and uh, what an introduction. Thank you so much. Well, I was thrilled to meet you yesterday at the at the National Day of Prayer event here in Tampa. Um, I was really uh, I was really struck by the the clear vision that God has given you. Um, and the way in which you are uh, using the gifts, talents, abilities, and resources that God has placed within your reach to actually make the world a better place. Tell us about cleanupkennedy.org. Uh, tell, us, uh, tell us about what you're doing and who's involved. Right. Well, Clean Up Kennedy is, is a community group. It's just me and people that I've met along the way, my friends and family and some other interested people. And we are committed to fighting human trafficking here in Tampa Bay. And we're specifically focused on the trafficking that goes on inside of illicit massage businesses or uh, massage parlors or illicit spas, and specifically tar- starting with the ones that are on Kennedy Boulevard here in Tampa. 
So I grew up here, and um, and I will say that uh, you know portions of Kennedy certainly uh, look have looked different over the last handful of years as I have visited. Um, but you've seen real you've seen real change in just the few uh, in just the few months that you guys have been working on this. Tell us what what an illicit massage parlor is and how bad the problem is. Sure. Well, uh, illicit massage parlors are storefronts that uh, operate as if they were legitimate massage places or health spas. That's what their advertising would be. But in reality, they are uh, basically places where prostitution happens. Uh, As uh, undercover Tampa Police Department detectives say, they're essentially brothels. And uh, the women there, uh, not only is there prostitution going on, but are many times victims of human trafficking. So that's really what, what brought it onto my radar. All right. And nationally, this is a pretty significant problem. So tell us, you know, sort of how bad the problem is nationally and then tell us about the problem here specifically in Tampa. Right. Well, according to the Polaris Project, uh, there's, uh, which is a, a national anti-human trafficking organization. They're really great. I, I checked them out online. Um, there's over 9,000 of these illicit massage businesses operating in the U.S. And uh, here on Kennedy, there were 10 just operating in a mile and a half between West Shore and downtown. All right. So um, I think that uh, you all have uh, have been successful in that, you know, at least now in that same stretch of road between, you know, West Shore and downtown on Kennedy, that number is down from 10 to 7. I guess one of the questions would be, are they just moving around the corner and, you know, reopening on Cyprus? Well, these haven't. I haven't seen any more open up uh, nearby. Uh, that is one of the, the big questions. If, if we just drive them off of Kennedy or if we just drive them off of Tampa or Hillsborough County, uh, won't they just pop up someplace else? And uh, I think that's a question that anybody who's working on a cause like this has to, has to face. And uh, what I basically say to that is they may open up someplace else, but I only have authority here in my community. Mm, I can only do what I can right here where I live in my community and then teach others how to do it in their communities, and they will be responsible for their communities. So that's when I got into this. Um, Not a whole lot of people were doing this, were targeting this problem. So I'm learning um, how to make it difficult for these businesses to operate, to exploit women right here in my backyard, and then I'll be teaching other people how to do that in their backyards. Well, and one of the things that you're working on is something called the Bathhouse Ordinance. Tell us about the Bathhouse Ordinance um, and how that would work. Right. When, about a year ago, uh, we started working on this problem, and we brought it to the city council. And uh, we said, you know, you know, respectfully, we are the citizens of Tampa, and this is something that we don't want going on in our backyard. We can't stand idly by while these people are trafficked and exploited in horrible ways right, you know, in our backyard. So we brought in experts uh, from the Polaris Project and other uh, anti-trafficking organizations from around the area, and they came up with a plan, and the city attorney uh, did a, a, a really good job, I think, and they, they found a whole old ordinance which regulated bathhouses, and they basically revamped it to apply to these uh, businesses that are very high likelihood of being an illicit massage business and trying to basically get some regulations that are going to make it very difficult for them to operate uh, in our city here. Okay, um, you've mentioned, you know, you've mentioned the police, you've mentioned the city attorney, you've mentioned the city council. Give us, um, give us a little bit of an understanding of 
uh, maybe what the police in Tampa are doing about this uh, about this challenge. Right. This is a really challenging problem all across the country because these places, they they almost look legitimate. If you, you can drive by them. I drove by them on Kennedy for years, and they I had no idea what was going on inside of them. So they get all the permits that they need to be to be a massage place. They get all the permits they need for a spa. And so just a, a glance over them, they look fine. And when the police do get tips, which is a very important thing, about prostitution going on inside, the police to basically go in and just arrest the women who are the, really the victims in this situation. And the women will end up in jail, and then the women will just get out of jail and go right back into the life, right back into the trafficking cycle. And then the businesses will just shut down and then open up under a different name. So it's very discouraging for the police to, to, to try to deal with these places because they just pop up you know, under a different name, and they don't really get the – the you know the real bad guys the people behind it all the mm-hmm. people that are raking in the millions and millions of dollars that come from these places so the, uh, occasionally they will raid places back in 2013 they did raid uh, ocean spa on henderson boulevard but there hasn't been a, a real raid in tampa in a in a little while all right and when you talk about um you know you've used the term uh human trafficking uh, and you've talked about the, the women, and the women are often the ones who who are arrested when you know when a place like this is raided. Um, and we're ju- we're talking here about um, about women who are you know they are not the owners and operators of these of these particular facilities. What do you know about these women? Um, and and then you know sort of why did you get engaged in this? Sure. Well, uh, from data that's that's been pulled from across the country, from law enforcement across the country, and organizations that restore these women, they basically uh, come to the fact that these are are usually middle-aged women, and from their 30s to their 50s, and they're coming over from Korea and China and other Asian countries, and they come to the U.S. usually in a in a, a, a work trafficking situation or a labor trafficking situation. They'll come over with promises of a work at a hotel or a restaurant or a nail salon, and they'll usually come over from their home countries because they have large debts. And then once they get here, they rack up even more debts uh, traveling over to our country and then staying here. And then once they're in their jobs, they usually won't be making enough money to even pay off the interest on their debts. And they're told, well, we have a, we have a job where you can make even more money. Uh, doing massage, and then once they get into the the massage parlors, um, and you know, you know, the story kind of uh, unravels from there. They're they're kept in these places, you know, because of those debt bondages, because of fear of our law enforcement, fear of deportation, and just the overwhelming shame of of what of what they're doing many times. So it's a really difficult situation for these for these women. Okay. Uh, again, friends, my uh, my conversation partner. Even though the topic is a difficult one to have, it's very important that we that we learn to talk about these things and that we learn to engage on these issues. My conversation partner is Joe Manson. Uh, we're talking about Clean Up Kennedy, and you can check it out at cleanupkennedy.org. Um, let's tell folks how they can uh, how they can get involved. Uh, what what together we could actually do about this. Did I lose you, Joe? All right. Well, we'll get Joe back here in just a second. 
Um, and and friends, this is a this is a issue that is is happening all over the country. And so when you think about human trafficking, I think that oftentimes we think about um, we think about particularly young women. We even think about uh, street children from around the world, and we think about the kind of human trafficking that takes place uh, for you know for the kinds of of illicit prostitution that we might be more aware of than we are these sort of storefront. Um, almost public uh, ways of of selling people uh, as a service, and so I want you to think here about um, about all varieties of ways in which people are kept in bondage, uh, and they are doing jobs that uh, are beneath the dignity of their humanity. And I think that that's one of the things that we're having a conversation here about. If we're really genuinely pro life, then we need to be people who are interested in the human flourishing of every person. Uh, And that means that we would not ask of anyone, require of anyone, nor pay anyone to do something that is beneath the dignity of their humanity. And so uh, uh, that would be the, uh, you know, that would be the Christian motivation to get engaged uh, in this effort to clean up Kennedy. And again, it's cleanupkennedy.org. And I'm talking today uh, with Joe Manson. Um, Hey, Joe, let's uh, let's talk about how people uh, can get engaged with Clean Up Kennedy. Right. Um, well, one of the things you can do is, is join my Facebook group, which is Clean Up Kennedy, Fighting Human Trafficking in Tampa Bay, or check out our website if you don't do Facebook, um, cleanupkennedy.org. Uh, I have a whole bunch of different ways that people can get involved. Uh, you can get involved with my group. We do things like we actually go out and do demonstrations. We, uh, we go to city council meetings and other government meetings, kind of bring attention to this. And we, uh, we have informational meetings as well if you want to learn a little bit more in-depth about this situation. But uh, one of the things I tell people, first thing to do is go and, and find the, the U.S. human trafficking tip line. It's a hotline that you could call and just put it in your phone as a contact. That way, if you ever see anything that you kind of feel is, is kind of weird or, you, or something like that, that you can just call that line and give them a tip. You might be able to save somebody's life. Hey, Joe, let's go ahead and give them that number. Friends, you can put this in your phone right now. It's 888-373-7888. So it's 888-373-7888. So the phone number is like the same both, you know, like, you know, it's almost the same if you flip it around, mm-hmm. 888-377-888. And again, that is the human trafficking hotline. It's the national human trafficking tip line. Um, and it's a place where you can anonymously report. Um, you can actually go to human trafficking hotline.org uh, also to um, anonymously report trafficking uh, or your or suspected trafficking. The information that you provide will be reviewed um, not only by the national hotline, it will be forwarded to specialized law enforcement in your area. All right. What else can we do? Right. I think the, the other thing is just talk about this. I mean, this is a hard subject, and, and nobody really wants to think about these things or, or talk about these things. But we need to have discussions with our family and friends about how, how these, uh, these massage parlors aren't just, you know, something to laugh at and be the butt of jokes, but that there's that, they're actually really represent a really ugly part of our city. And, uh, and just, it just get it, you know, the biggest thing is if you feel passionate about something, you know, get involved in that. that that's what I did. I, I learned about these places. You know, I saw them all across my city, and, and I just decided to, to, to get involved to do what I could do. And at first it wasn't a whole lot. 
But, uh, you know, God has really opened up so many doors and has just been there behind me the whole way. So I just I encourage anyone, if you feel passionate about, about an issue, you know, just you, you know, learn a little bit more about it. Talk to some people. You'd be amazed how God will use you. All right. I'm going to also encourage uh, listeners to pray for you. And, Joe, we're going to do that right now. Oh, um, awesome. Father, um, you've clearly got an anointing upon this young man's life, and so we want to lift up to you, Joe Manson. We want to lift up this effort to clean up Kennedy. We want to lift up these women who are in debt bondage. Uh, We want to lift them up. We want to ask, Father, that you would uh, liberate them through the efforts of Clean Up Kennedy, the efforts of Tampa law enforcement, and, and, Father, the efforts of our listeners to actually take note of what is happening um, and to report what they see uh, in order that we can become people who intervene on behalf of others. Hey, Joe Manson, thank you so much for joining us today on the Bill Bunkley Show. Um, we look forward to hearing uh, more about you and the way God intends to use you in the future. I, I think he's got his hand upon you, my friend. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Hey, friends, I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is the Bill Bunkley Show. We'll be right back. Here's the latest from SRN News. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. A federal judge has suggested prosecutors want to get former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort to sing against the president. U.S. Senior Judge T.S. Ellis III asked government lawyers pointed questions about special counsel Robert Mueller's authority to bring charges at a Friday hearing. The Virginia indictment alleges Manafort hid tens of millions of dollars he earned advising pro-Russia politicians in Ukraine from the Internal Revenue Service. The U.S. economy has delivered steady but only modest gains for most Americans since the Great Recession. Yet the very sluggishness of the expansion helps explain why it's now the second longest on record and why more people could soon share in its benefits. Employers added a decent 164,000 jobs in April, a record 91st straight month of hiring growth, and unemployment reached 3.9%. More details at srnnews.com. And now, your Pathway Minute with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Some of you would say, Robert, I'm afraid it's too late for me. Maybe it was a divorce, an affair, an addiction, or just some bitter disappointment in your life. If that's true of you today, I have a message of encouragement for you. If the message of Solomon tells us anything, it tells us it's really not how you start in your relationship with God that matters. It's how you finish. Solomon, too, started strong. He spent decades wandering away from God. But in the end, he came back. And so can you. Remember your Creator. Make God first in your life while there's still time. Pathway Minute is produced by Pathway to Victory. To access the Bible teaching of Dr. Robert Jeffress, go to ptv.org. Bill Bunkley inviting you to join me and my family on an inspirational pilgrimage this November to Israel and Jordan. I've crafted with EDI Travel's renowned historian Boaz Shalgi an incredible itinerary. 
You'll visit Petra in Jordan, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Nazareth, Jericho, the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, Masada, the northern Golan Heights, the Lebanese border, Ascalon, plus Jerusalem's new U.S. Embassy. We'll share an Israeli dinner at Boaz's home. See this and much more for the all-inclusive credible price of $3,965. Join me, Tony, and Zach on this 10-day all-inclusive pilgrimage November 10th through 19th. As a faithful listener, you've likely heard of my current health challenges. I've been advised by my medical team to plan on leading this spectacular pilgrimage. So come join us. Call 813-515-1510 or check out our complete itinerary online at letstalkfaith.com. Balance of Nature's Fruits and Veggies. I was always just sort of feeling tired. And so I said, maybe this will just help in overall vitality. But in the past couple of years that I've been taking it, I find my energy has been great. I've been sleeping better. I don't get the cravings for junk food as often as I used to. I really attribute it to the product. It's so easy to use. Even if I want to take a capsule for my daughter and I just pull it apart to mix it in some juice or something, it's just something I'm very grateful to be able to incorporate. I really love the product. I I think it's made such a difference generally feel better, generally have better energy and, and more stamina. Breathing is easier. Walking is easier. You don't, you're not in pain anymore, all right? I could, go, I could go on and on. When you call, use discount code NOW, and we'll take 35% off your first month's order and ship it to you free. Call 800-246-8751 or go online to balanceofnature.com. And use discount code now. Saturdays at noon, Faith Answers with Pastor Gary Roy. People that don't walk with the Lord come up with these questions sometimes. Oh, God, show me your will, and you haven't been walking with Christ. You're going to make some mistakes here if you're not careful. Our point here is to stay in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith Answers with Pastor Gary Roy. Saturdays at noon on Faith Talk 570 WTBN. Online at Let's Talk Faith. On the next episode of Paws and Tales. All right, then, troops, strap on your backpacks. We're on our way. All right. We don't believe there is such a thing as God. No God? If you can't see him, how can you be at all certain he exists? I'm going to have to wait for the slowpokes. Don't you miss the next Pause and Tales. Pause and Tales, Saturday mornings at 5 on Faith Talk 570 WTBN. Friends, I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to the Bill Bunkley Show. Thanks so much for being with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Mike Miracle, who is uh, sitting on the other side of a big piece of glass and making all of this possible. He's actually the one that pushes all the buttons. I just talk. Uh, And so thank you for the privilege uh, that it is to join you in whatever portion of your day we have shared. Yesterday, I had the, uh, the distinct privilege of speaking at a National Day of Prayer event here in Tampa the Tampa Bay uh, Prayer Breakfast Brunch. And so I want to give a shout out to all of those people who made that event possible. And thank you so much for your wonderful hospitality back here in my home city of Tampa. Uh, So some of you have like asked for like notes. Could we have notes from what you said yesterday? Well, how about we just redo the talk here in really short form? This will be the speed version of Carmen's comments 
at the National Day of Prayer Breakfast. So here was really where I started. Um, you know, after uh, you know, a- after you warm the crowd up. So I won't give you, you. I've warmed you guys up for now an hour and a half. So you don't need any more warming up. Um, but my question that I started with was this: Like, do you, when you think about culture, when you think about the culture in which we live, the culture of which you are a part, do you think of that culture as a war zone, a garden, or a river? I mean, you may, I, I, this is going to be a multiple choice thing. and I'm only going to give you three choices. So if your answer is like other or something different, then we have to have like a private one-on-one conversation about it. But I'm going to deal with these three images or metaphors. When we think about the culture um, as a war zone, and I think we tend to do that a lot, right? We talk about the what? The culture war. And so therefore we see ourselves at war with the culture. The challenge then is that we don't see ourselves as positive, productive contributors to it. um, And we certainly don't see ourselves as in any way responsible for the bad stuff that's happening. And so I I want us to at least migrate from seeing it as a war zone um, to maybe seeing it as a river, recognizing that it has a rising tide. And sometimes it, uh, we, we are even sometimes caught up in it in ways that uh, wow, once we recognize it, then we got to stick our feet back down and take our stand and um, uh, and remember who we are and recognize that we're supposed to be people who take a stand against the rising tide of culture, even though sometimes it swamps us. Um, and so sometimes the river image of culture is a good one. Um, but I think that maybe the best image of culture is that of a garden. And here's uh, here's why I propose this. So if you think about where God placed Adam and Eve, he didn't actually start them out in a war zone. He started them out in a garden. And so culture is that place where we are set as God's stewards in any particular generation, in any particular season. And because we are not Adam and Eve, our garden is kind of a mess. But we're still set as managers or stewards over uh, this place or portion uh, of, of the cultural reality in which we live. And so you are certainly, you are certainly in the garden in the culture of your own home or your own small community or the the culture of your church, the culture uh, of your workplace. These are all small parts of the culture um, that you are certainly a manager or God's steward over. And so there's a great responsibility in those smaller cultural contexts and what we do in those in those smaller or discrete cultural contexts have real impact or real influence in the culture at large. Sometimes we think of uh, the culture as being comprised of a series of mountains. You might have heard of like the seven mountains uh, of culture. And we think about those mountains of culture, including uh, family, religion or faith, education, Government, uh, I'd put with that like law and military. Media, I'd put with that news commentary and social media. Arts and entertainment, social media might fit on that side of the bar as well, um, or digital. And then we've got like sort of the business economics vocation mountain. Now, if you're thinking that culture is a river, then it's all downhill from these mountains. Like that might be one. uh, But if you're also thinking of it as a garden, then... All of these mountains are, you know, they're not just to be like overcome with sort of the warrior spirit. They're actually supposed to be cultivated. I mean, we're supposed to be actually positively contributing to the cultivation of the culture in which we've been set. 
And so whichever one of these uh, cultural mountains you are actively a part of, and my guess is there's uh, you know more than one, certainly you have a family of some variety, certainly you have a faith community of some variety. If you have kids um, and or you're an educator or involved in education, that's your mountain. If you are in any way engaged with the government, law enforcement, the military, the court system, you're on that mountain. You're a cultivator of that mountain, on and on and on. You see how this works. Okay, so in a culture where, um, you know, we're sort of in a, I'll use, I'll use a term that I think Russ Douthat actually coined this last week in the New York Times. He called it post-familialism. So if we indeed are in a time where the family is really something that the larger culture or the dominant culture or the secularizing culture is really working to destroy, then how are we going to be pro-family in a post-familial culture? And how are we going to be, po, you know, like pro-positive religion, pro-Christian in an anti-traditional, anti-religion culture? And in, in, a, in a dominant culture where, frankly, most of our K-12 education is, um, is not fostering uh, uh, sort of a biblical worldview, you know, how are we going to influence the, the mountain of the education culture? How are we going to influence the next generation? You, you see how this works on and on and on. In polarized government where courts uh, legislate and the military has become like a petri dish for social experimentation, how are we as Christians going to positively engage? How are we going to be cultivators of a more positive culture if indeed we have been set as God's stewards on purpose and for a purpose in this particular kingdom of the world as his ultimate kingdom ambassadors. That's that's the question that I'm posing. How are we going to functionally do that? Well, I think that if we're ever going to get together on any of this, um, we're going to have to get it together ourselves. Like we're going to individually have to get it together. Um, and then we're going to have to, as Christians, get together. If we're ever going to uh, positively influence the larger culture on broad sweeping issues like education, or criminal justice reform, or racial reconciliation, sort of these major themes and trends. By the way, uh, major themes and trends that should be our beautiful gardens in the culture, because these are actually things that Christians should have the corner on the marketplace of ideas uh, related to. Uh, and so we want to we wanna be people who, because we are reconciled to God— Become reconcilers like we want to become agents of reconciliation and ministers of reconciliation because that's been our experience. And we want to lead other people into those kinds of conversations. Well, why aren't we doing that? Well, I think because we see it as a war instead of as a garden. So if it were your garden, you'd get out there and you would dig up the rocks and you'd pitch them off to the side. Uh, and then you'd till the soil, and you would enrich the soil if necessary. Um, and then you would plant the seeds. You would not expect overnight growth, but you would trust God to give the growth. Now, the temptation in gardening is always to get out there and weed. Weed, weed, weed. Jesus says, look, let the weeds and the tares grow up together. Now, i got to tell you, I'm a person that likes to weed when it comes to the cultural conversations of the day. I like to pick out all the bad stuff, all right? And I'd like to root it out. Um, and so I have to resist the temptation sometimes and recognize, you know what? Sometimes I got to leave God's job to God's job to God, and I got to do what I'm responsible to do. 
So am I actively planting the seeds that will produce a harvest of righteousness? If I don't like the harvest of unrighteousness that's being produced in the culture garden of which I'm a part, whatever part of the culture that is, then am I actively gardening, tilling the soil, removing the rocks, uh, anything that sets itself up in active opposition to the word of God? Um, Am I planting the seeds of the word of God? Am I actually doing my job uh, as God's steward and a representative of his kingdom principles seeking to influence the kingdom of this world. Uh, And so uh, then I went on to talk a little bit about identity and love, and I don't have time to share those points today, but they were good. There you go. You're smiling. I have a feeling that if you listen on Sunday, they're going to rebroadcast the message. I don't know. I'm pretty sure. I've been told. Okay. I think it's at 1 o'clock on this station on Monday. I think you can hear the message that I gave at the uh, National Day of Prayer event here in Tampa, uh, right here on this station on Monday. Um, Here's really what uh, I want to conclude with. Every conversation is a God conversation. I want you to consider that as you go forth this weekend into the conversations that are going to happen. And so as you enter into those conversations, I want you to focus on people, not issues. Uh, Causes are not one. People are one. And so I want you to be out there as a winsome conversationalist on behalf of the kingdom of God this weekend. You are his ambassador. Uh, You represent the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. And so do so with all the dignity of an ambassador. All right, friends, get out there and represent Christ to the world that he so loves and that uh, in order that other people might come to know who he is. I'm Carmen LaBerge. It's been my joy to be with you here on The Bill Bunkley Show. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thank you.